This is the Lottery Podcast. Welcome back. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft analyst for Bleach Report. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. We're going to take a little break from draft talk to avoid some repetition. Although recent updates, the lottery was moved up to August 20th, thank God. And the NBA Combine invites were sent out to 100 prospects, even though there probably won't actually be an NBA Combine, just good for medicals and, and measurements. I mean, it's still just good to know who the NBA views as its top 100 prospects. But anyway, the NBA is back. I figure we should discuss what's going on in the bubble. So joining me this week is Mo DeKeel, founder of JumpBall.net, former NBA video coordinator, current writer for Bleacher Report, podcaster for The Athletic. What's going on, Mo? How are we living? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, you know, as good as anybody can be in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool <laughs> that there's actually like sports coming back. And actually, like five minutes before we just started recording, I just saw the NBA released that there were no positive tests again for the second time in a row in the bubble. Yeah, I mean, we're they're, they're doing it, you know. They've put in a plan in place. Now, this is one of those things, too. It's like you can't rest on your laurels or anything like that or or, or feel ultimately safe. But, you know, they're they're making progress. They're, they're doing everything they said they would do. And it's so far working, man. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, there's like – there's some trust factor I have with Adam Silver and, and not like I didn't have it with David Stern, but I mean something about Adam Silver. I just like feel good when, when, when he's on top of things and, and calling the shots and, um, and, and he's like a good mix of like being a little out of the box, but, but not too far and, and seems to have a good grasp um, on this situation. Yeah. You know, um, what's, well, just imagine the amount of, uh, uh, credibility he's going to get if he's able to pull this whole thing off right? and we get to the finals. Like. Especially if all these other sports, you know, go in the toilet. And yeah, work. right. You know, so I mean, he might, he's going to, he's either going to look amazing or have a little bit of egg on his face. But, you know, with how bad the other sports are doing, it's, it's, it's never going to be that bad for him, even if this, I think, uh, doesn't work out. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I think he's in line for um, for some brownie points after this. Um, before we actually go into the bubble, the biggest news, I think, outside of the bubble, and, and I'm in New York, so I'm curious to what your thoughts are on the Knicks-Tom Thibodeau hiring, because, you know, where I am, it really seems split down the middle in terms of people's opinions. I mean, you, you hear one side that's like, ah, he's, you know, he's a recycled coach, he's kind of outdated, and then the other side's like, okay, there's this credible guy with, with a, a winning track record, and the Knicks kind of need that. So where do you stand on, on what the Knicks did with Thibodeau? I'm kind of right down the middle. Uh, I know it's not the most uh, exciting answer. <laughs> Look, I mean, Tibbs is a great coach. There's there's no arguing that. I mean, he he helped to bring Minnesota up to the, the playoffs after them not making it for so many years. He big part of what they did in Chicago, obviously – he, he's you can almost credit him for the defense the Boston Celtics had when they won the championship right like I mean there's it's it's not to say that he can't coach at all my big concern is what are they going to do with the rest of this team because Thibodeau is not the type of guy that wants to rebuild you know he's at the point in his career where he feels like you know it's it's time to win now and the roster the Knicks have right now are, is a rebuilding roster with, you know, some nice young guys, but it's not even like they have the one guy where you're like, this is a franchise piece. We just have to build around this guy and we'll be fine. So I'm very curious to see which way the Knicks go with this. You know, they gave him a five-year deal, and we know in New York that doesn't mean much with the, with the Dolan and company. So I'm going to be interested to see what their next moves are. Are they going to start trying to – 
get rid of these young guys to to make moves and get veterans or are they going to kind of play it safe and start work on development and things like that and and a development route and you know it better than me jonathan being in new york that's never really been the Knicks' way of doing things. I mean, they're they're kind of like the Lakers in that sense. You know, development was never such a strong suit of theirs. So, I'll be really interested to see how what the next moves are, and that's going to kind of decide it. But Tibbs is a good coach, and anybody that thinks he he can't coach in this league, you know, they're just they don't understand coaching and don't understand basketball for that matter. Right. Like when I saw the news at the higher Thibodeau, my kind of reaction was like, "That's great. You know, who cares? They got to get players in the team." You know, you can hire Popovich and the team's still probably going to suck because they need talent. They need to, you know, it's more of, I'm more interested in, in what Leon Rose and Scott Perry do to build a roster. And then I'll care more about who's actually coaching these guys. But anyway, that, you know, I, I kind of split down the middle too. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like, okay, that's a bad hire. I wasn't like, you know, this is the guy is going to come and turn things around for the Knicks. But they just got to find, they got to find good players and find a way to to convert maybe some of the young talent into good players or really develop them you know what's your thought on rj barrett in terms of where do you think he can go you know i'm just not i'm not sure yet you know it's one of those things with rj it's you know first year uh it's it's tough to just make the full evaluation after a guy's rookie year i felt like at duke he wasn't utilized as well as he could be and you're you're the expert on that i don't even watch a lot of college basketball i was only watching because they had that kid zion so uh he's pretty good Uh, but you you felt like you know there were there were flashes there i think you just got to develop him i don't think he's a cornerstone piece though i don't think he's a guy that i'm saying hey i got to build around or he's or i'm definitely not trading him you know i'm he, he, he's definitely somebody, if the right package comes along, I'll, I'll move him. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, anything more than a, a second or third option, though, in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a best-case scenario if he was the second option. Um, and, and he was a guy who, just going back to having you know watched him in, in high school, after one season at Duke, I was much lower on him than I was when I watched him in high school. And then you watch him for a season at the Knicks. Listen, if he's not, if he is not a cornerstone player, you know, that's a, that's a, that's bad news for yeah. New York um, because now I guess you're relying on Mitchell Robinson um, and to, to be a guy that you can count on for the next five years to, to, you know, kind of elevate the roster a little bit. I'm curious to see, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Mitchell Robinson? That'll be the last next question. Then we'll move on to the bubble. Like in terms of, you know, how high his ceiling could go in, in, in a league where, you know, teams kind of want their big guys to step outside a little bit. You know, that's one of the guys I was kind of excited for when Tibbs was hired. Cause I said, wow, like, this is an athletic big guy. You know, he, I thought he improved this year in terms of shot blocking, in terms of his timing and rotating over and things like that. And I think that's somebody that Tibbs can kind of start to mold. He's still young enough, so it's not like he has so many habits that Tibbs got to try to break things, you know, and start to build him back up. But he can kind of start to mold him a bit. And I think I'm excited for him defensively with Tibbs in that area of this is – something that we we can see a lot of improvement in that area. I think he's a he's a piece worth keeping an eye on for him. I, I liked him coming into the draft, you know, thinking like, hey, he's kind of a, uh, a Capella sort of look, you know, a, a kind of guy. But I think he might even be better than Capella. I think he has a little bit more range. We just haven't seen it. And I don't know if we're going to see it with Tibbs. But I think he has a chance to really kind of take a leap just under this coaching staff. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing, honestly, since the past couple of years is that Robinson hasn't really been fully utilized. I mean, he comes in and 
I think he took like one out, one shot outside the paint last year, and sometimes you know his minutes are limited, uh, obviously for foul trouble. But I think Tibbs has this reputation of you know playing guys long minutes, letting them play through mistakes, and so hopefully he gives Robinson a chance to make more mistakes this year and, and hopefully take a next step with his development. But all right, let's yeah, go. Well, I mean, I mean, real yeah. quick though, too, Jonathan, to just kind of, I feel like people outside of the Knicks organization are higher on Mitchell Robinson than the Knicks themselves sometimes, you know, (laughs) that's kind of the one thing I feel about it. And that's, that's kind of one of those things where I'm like, I hope they start to get pumped up here a bit. Yeah. And and that's an interesting point. And just something I kind of thought about the Knicks fall a little bit in this draft, like they're projected to pick six, but if they end up picking, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever, is Robinson a guy that they can kind of use to move up because there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of talk about landing Lamella Ball. Lamella Ball is is probably he's been number one on my board since November, and um, I think you got to feel good about his star potential as much as anyone in this draft. And not only do the Knicks need a, a star, but they they need a point guard, and he wants to play in New York. And there's going to be a lot of pressure for the Knicks to try and get Lamelo. Uh, and you just wonder if maybe they'd be willing to move somebody like Mitchell to move up and get that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all got to be on the table. I think it comes down to the most important thing for the Knicks is, you know, they got to find that cornerstone piece. What are we building around? And it, and it can't be an aging veteran. You know, it can't be a move they're going to make to bring in an aging veteran. It's got to be, we need a cornerstone guy. This is our guy. This is our face of the franchise. This is the guy we want to retire as a Nick. You know, we need to start building around. And that's that's kind of where they got to go. And like we said at the beginning, they just don't have that yet. Yeah, I mean, they did when they drafted Porzingis, but that changed like so fast. <laughs> How long ago did that feel? <laughs> I mean, Jesus, I, you know, looking back to that, I mean, man, what a head scratcher. Um, but yeah, let's get back into the bubble. I, I you know, I, I, I shift towards the Knicks sometimes just because I'm around here and, and good to hear other people's opinions outside in New York. But you know, talk about like, so these, these scrimmages that are going on, I mean, how legit are the results? Is it like summer league where it's like, you know, you don't put too much stock into the results or, or, you know, are these results something we can buy as, as something to look forward to moving forward? I think there's elements of it. I mean, some of it was summer league games, just in terms of the way coaches were playing their guys and, and rotations and things like that. You would, and it would be funny because sometimes you'd have yesterday, for example, the Boston Celtics didn't play any of their guys, any of their top top line guys, but the Houston Rockets did, you know, and, and, and that obviously led to a blowout. But there's, you know, so it kind of skews things a little bit. But I think the most important stuff to kind of take away, or at least that I was looking at, was first, you know, how, how are the guys adjusting to playing in this gym? Like, this is a new environment for all of these guys. You have video screen backgrounds you have all this kind of weird stuff going on no fans in the stands you have you know jj reddick had said it's like deathly silent when they're shooting free throws and you can kind of see it on the broadcast when you're watching it so i think it's a, a scenario where i just wanted to watch how guys were adjusting to this where they were at conditioning and then i wanted to see what are coaches doing that's different and i think we've seen some really interesting things coming around and and it's pretty promising now in terms of the results like if your team goes 0 and 3 it doesn't matter in the scrimmages it's it's preseason in that sense but i think it's there's interesting things and tidbits we can take away from it and you kind of get a look at like man this guy's in shape he's in rhythm he's ready to go and then there's some guys you're looking at going like they're not quite there yet Mm -hmm. so what's the one thing 
that's kind of caught your attention so far that you're like, oh, you know, this guy's playing well or this team is doing things a little differently? Well, the one thing that has my attention, and this is probably even just more on a personal excitement level, is Yusuf Nurkic is back, and I love mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he gives Portland a whole other uh, dimension that they could play. And, uh, you know, every time last season before he got hurt, John, he was the second best player for the, the Blazers. You know, he was phenomenal for them. And I think that gives them a big boost, and they look locked in. But, you know, when we talk about teams doing things differently, you got to talk to this. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers right they're moving Ben Simmons to the four he's they're playing him off ball a little bit more putting it more in their guards hands like Shake Milton and things like that using him as a roller and things like that and it, it looks pretty good so far for them and again you got to take that with the grain of salt for the games but the offense has had a nice flow to the to the system it's never going to look great but it's looked a lot better than what it did during the regular season and I think you know, with their defense and, and their ability to kind of play more aggressive defensively, I think they they could be a team to really sort of like watch out for. I mean, for me, it's funny to think because I've watched, you know, I've gone back and forth on Shake Milton at SMU before he got to the NBA. And I was like, is this guy good? Or, you know, is he plays a little hunched over? Does he have the burst to, to create for himself? And now he's, he's moved Simmons off the ball. I mean, for, <laughs> for, for, for a team that's like, you know, trying to get to that that championship level i mean when i when i heard that news i was kind of shocked but at the same time i don't i haven't watched a lot of shake milton over the past year is he really like a a guy that the sixers are going to count on to to handle the ball and make decisions i don't think i would say it's it's going to solely be on him the ball's still going to be in simmons's hands you know they they run some pick and rolls with shake and he provides a nice little scoring pop for them Mm -hmm. you know and, and and a little bit of a threat when he comes off the screens you know, to shoot it. Whereas before when it was just Simmons, everybody would hang back. You know, the, the one thing I, I think that got lost in all this is like, you could hang back on Simmons. He's still going to find the pass, mm-hmm. you, you know, and find the angle that he needs to, to make the, the pass he needs to make. So, you know, I don't know. It's like sharing responsibilities, I think more than, than just kind of putting it all on shake. Cause I think you're going to see Josh Richardson with the ball more. I think you're going to see Tobias Harris with it a little bit more. And I'm not necessarily that excited about it just because I'm not sure how good those guys are in the pick and roll. But it's going to be interesting to see how teams react. And then, you know, if they can hit Simmons on the short roll, that just opens everything up because then it's, you know, a high-low pass to Joel Embiid or hitting the guys in the corners to to shoot the ball. And I I think that's kind of what it's – the idea isn't so much like shake is so good, but it's just there's just an inherent value for us. And I say us, I mean the Sixers for them to open up the floor a bit and it kind of just opens the offense and gives them a better flow than if it's just Simmons and it allows teams to clog the the lane. Yeah. Now I'm curious if the Sixers end up trying to take a guard in this draft because there's going to be a bunch of them um, available to them in the early twenties. But looking down again, this roster, you know, one name that jumps out to me is Matisse Thibel, who, you know, four years at Washington defensive player of the year, um, goes number I think it was 20 overall and he he kind of earned a nice reputation um, before the NBA shut down as that defensive specialist but the big question right does he offer enough offensively is he going to be a good enough shooter can he put the ball down what have you seen from Thibel and how big of a a role do you think he can have for the Sixers team I mean first off you have to put some respect on his name Jonathan superstar YouTube vlogger yeah. Stiebel. <laughs> um, he's, he's taking YouTube by storm with his yeah. bubble uh, documentary. Um, look, I, I love him. 
I think, you know, I think he, he still has ways to go offensively. But, you know, he has just such a great knack for timing and, and getting, you know, deflections and, and strips and, and just getting his hand on the ball. And, and you know, it's it's got to be funny for Brett Brown, who's coached Manu Ginobili for all those years in San Antonio as an assistant, you know, and watching Manu gamble, you know, only to be able to recover. You kind of see that with Thibault. And it's just, you know, I think early on in – in the season, I, I remember reading a quote where Brett Brown just said, "Like, man, I just told him, like, that's fine. Like, I, I, I go gamble because he, he, I trust that you're going to get back in the play, and he does that quite a bit. And just add that layer defensively with him, and then you have Ben Simmons, you know, also you know, long as hell and able to kind of just get in the passing lanes. Like defensively, that's just a brutal combination there, and I think that's something that makes it." Interesting. Now, obviously, his offensive game has to improve. There, with some of the stuff they're running with the elbow action, you know what they tend to, what they like to do is, when they have somebody on the strong side that they're running a pick and roll, when the pick and roll is happening, they like to lift that guy from the corner up to the above the break three because that puts pressure on the defense, and that's the shot Thibault has to take and he has to make consistently enough for defenses to really worry about him. And that's something he doesn't have now. And I, obviously there's not enough time in the bubble to just kind of develop it. But that's something he needs to develop going forward. Yeah. I mean, he just seemed like if he went to the right team out of the draft, I mean, it was going to be a perfect match. And he was going to be a, a value pick who was going to slip because of his age and offensive limitations. But the right the right fit for him, and he was going to be a steal. And it looks like he is going to be a good fit for Philly now, uh, right away, and, and long term. Another another defensive stud, and probably my favorite storyline so far of the bubble, it's only been one game, but Jonathan Isaac uh, yeah. comes back. <laughs> and listen, I'll highlight um, one of my better evaluations, and at the same time it has to hit on one of my worst ones, where I had Jonathan Isaac top three coming out of the draft out of Florida State. Unfortunately, I had them one spot ahead of Jason Tatum, who I just did not think was going to be this good. But let's focus on the positives here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's stay in a good mood. Let's stay in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> and, and focus on Isaac, who is, I mean, um, it seems like, you know, he's translating defensively. Like everything you hope for is happening and more. Um, he's probably the most exciting you know, prospect on this Orlando team, which has a bunch of them. Um, and it took a couple years because Isaac's offensive game is a little bit slow to come around, and maybe it still is. But how good of a defensive player can can Isaac be in this league? I mean, he can win Defensive Player of the Year in the, in, in, somewhere in the next few years as a wing player. Or, you know, he's long, and, and, and that's something that every team values. But it's the instincts he has with it, and he's able to kind of come through and block shots from the weak side. He's He's got a good motor with him, everything across the board, like – it's just really awesome to watch. Like, you know, I, I watched the same game you did this, you know, the the one game he played, and it's hard not to get excited. He had about a seven-minute stretch where he he just was the best player on the court, and it, it, it wouldn't have mattered who was on. He was dominant. He was on both ends of the court. He was – he had a, a rebound put back three uh, – put back for an and one. He had a, a three in the corner. He had a, a defensive steal that led to a transition bucket and things like that. Like, he was just making things happen. And I really think that defensively, it, he's only going to get better. And I think he's paired with a great defensive coach and Steve Clifford. I think that's a guy that can continue to sort of help guide him along and show him a few other things that he can do 
the, to help the team defensively. And I think they're just going to, he, he's going to grow to the point where I think eventually we're going to be looking at him as a regular on the all NBA defensive team and somewhere in the top three of defensive player of the year voting. Wow. You know, it's funny because coming out of high school, the main draw to him was he's 6'10 and he has these guard skills. I mean, obviously there is the defensive potential, but I think coming out of high school, I was more drawn to his mismatch ability as a guy who's mm. 6'10 with three-point range and can create, create his own shot a little bit. And then as he moved to Florida State, he kind of played within the offense a little bit, um, and we found that he had more defensive potential than we initially thought. And now he's in the NBA, and you're talking about him as a potential defensive player of the year candidate. And meanwhile, his offense is what needs to come around. You know, what's the next step for him in terms of being, you know, a more productive scorer, a more effective offensive player within Orlando system? You know, I think it's the whole the, the whole package. You know, just has to sharpen up and be better. You know, he, he he's got to be a better three point shooter. He's got to be better off the dribble and being able to create. You know, he he's still pretty slight, so I don't see him kind of doing anything in the post or anything like that. But I think there are opportunities for him to just find the pockets and he and he's doing it all and then I think the next the next next level which will be tough to get is is creating for others you know and and it's not like he's got to average 10 assists a game or anything like that but if he can get to the point where he can you know as teams are going to start to put more pressure on him as his offensive game grows find that open man for you know the corner three or the cutter or whatnot I think that just the continual evolution of his game is where it would continue to grow. And I think that's those are the whole things. It's it's all on the offensive end in terms of that. He's got to sharpen the the tools he has now because they're not quite they're they're not quite there yet. But he he's got to start to prepare for the other things as well. Where are you at on Markel Fultz? Man, he's so hard to figure out, dude. It's <laughs> I I want I, I He's just, he's the guy everybody's rooting for, right? Like it's just been it's just been a kind of crazy story. He's shown flashes that are, that are that are great, you know. Before the the suspension, you know, the Orlando Magic beat the Lakers um, in in Staples Center. Now I was at that game, and he was a big part of it. He was does a good job of just using his body and getting into the paint and creating and and passing and things like that, and it's just finding cutters and and, and things like that. Like I think it's it's there, but. There's always going to be question marks with him, right? Because we're never sure what's happening with this shot. We don't know how how much he trusts it, which makes it a bigger issue. So you know, I'm offense is still out, man. I mean, I mean, sorry, God, what a terrible way to screw up two uh, <laughs> two analogies. I'm still on the fence on uh, on on Fultz there. Before we continue, I gotta give a quick shout out to Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Yeah, I mean, Fultz, of course, I had him number one, and as did seemingly everybody else. And um, you know, the, the the weirdest thing with his with his shooting, and but even if his jumper never comes around, he plays at such a nice pace, and, and he's got a little bounce to his step, and he's a flashy passer, and you know, picks his spots right as a driver. And if, man, if he could just get this jump shot. 
back to where it was or, or close to back to where it was. I do think he's got the chance to be a, a valuable starter. Now, I'm looking down this Magic roster. I'm trying to think, like, what do they need to do to, to take another step? They've kind of been stuck in this. I know that they're outside of the lottery right now, but they're not really like a scary team, a, a team that you would fear. You know, what's what's the next step for this team? You know, what's Mo, what's going on with Mo Bamba? And, and is how good is Aaron Gordon? What does this team have to do? Yeah, I think they need to start figuring out who their guys are, right? Because right? they have a lot of pieces that individually we all kind of like, right? You know, Mo Bamba's an interesting character. Um, you know, we just talked about Isaac. Foltz is a guy that they're hoping can take him to the next level. But what are they going to do with Evan Fournier? What, where, where's um, uh, Aaron Gordon fit into the plan, their plans? You know, is it, is it time to kind of trade some of these guys? Um, Nikolai Vujovic, who I always want to call Sasha Vujicic, uh, <laughs> and, and it always takes me a minute to to remember that they're not the same guys, um, and, and they're completely different players. But you know, uh, but you know, what what are their plans with these guys? You know, and and are they looking at those guys as the cornerstone, or is it, hey, we're starting to kind of drift away? And if that's the case, then you start need to start moving these guys and get something for them while you can. And I think it'll be an interesting scenario. They just got to figure out who they are. And, and you know, you got to look at the guys like John John Hamm, who's running the show there. In or, uh, John Hammond, sorry, not John Hamm, the actor. <laughs> this, this is what happens at night in the morning. That John Hamm is talented, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, John Hamm, who, was, who, who in, in Milwaukee was a big believer in long and lengthy, lanky. And that's how you end up with guys like Jonathan Isaacs on your team. That's how you end up with guys like Mo Bamba who kind of fit that mold. So you kind of you're starting to see where they're going, but they need to kind of start figuring out who are their guys and what are they going to do and start formulating a plan with the other guys. Because I always feel like they're just rolling on the treadmill of mediocrity. You know, they they, they got a really good coach in Clifford. I'm really high on him. I think you know they got. I like Aaron Gordon. I, I don't think he's reached his full potential yet i'm not sure if he's going to that's a whole other story but you know if they're not looking at him as the guy for them in the future then you need to start moving start making moves and start adding pieces so you can start building so you can get off this damn treadmill and start start joining with the big boys yeah i think it's time to start i I was actually told that they were looking to move mo bamba like in the middle of his rookie year and they never did and it seems like Gordon's time is up. Um, you know, he hasn't been able to take him to the next level. And the one thing with the Magic, um, I, and I always talk about drafting best player available, but they're the only team that like is the exception. They did it with Bamba, but he can't really play in front of Vucevic, who they ended up signing. And then they just drafted Chuma Okiki, who I had at 13 overall on my board. I think they took him 16. But when is he going to get the opportunity to play behind Isaac and Vucevic and Gordon? Um, and, and he's not going to get the, the minutes he needs to develop. And, and so... Yeah, they got to start to to actually put a, a roster together, and like you said, figure out who they have. Um, the Suns. Let's let's go to the Suns because I think Mikael Bridges was a guy I was high on, and it's really good to see that Bridges is coming to life in the bubble. Uh, always known for his defense, and suddenly I just saw him pour twenty six points on the Rockets and the Raptors. I should say. I think he scored sixteen against Boston. The jumper's looking good. He looks a little more confident offensively. I think he's a uh, a big part of what's going to help Phoenix get to that next level. What do you think of Bridges? What do you think about this Suns team in general? Man, like I was kind of excited to see the game that he had the other day with 26 points and looked like his offensive game is coming along because the defense again was never 
a question, right? Like we always kind of thought he's going to be a good, solid defender. What can he do offensively to help sort of the, the Suns along? And he he's developing his stuff. He's shooting it pretty well. He's he all around. I just like what he's doing. Um, I think the the Suns need that. They need to start having more competent players. Like this is, feels like the first year in like five where it felt like they've put together competent players around Devin Booker. And now we're beginning to see like, yo, Devin Booker is not just a high volume shooter or big points guy on a bad team. Like he can play. And this is what happens when you put him around guys with like Ricky Rubio with a high basketball IQ who could handle the ball and allow uh, Booker to play off balls from time to time. You know, there's seeing some improvements from Deandre eight and, you know, I, he saw him, he knocked down a three the other day. I'm uh, hoping that's something he can kind of continue. It's amazing how we talk about big guys now having to add the three. I know it's old news, but at the same time, it's still every now and then I'm like, if they don't add a three point shot, it's a problem. Uh, but I think it's a interesting scenario that the Suns are building. You know, the hardest thing for the Suns at the end of the day is they're just a victim of their location. You know, in the in the Western Conference, it's it's brutal. Yeah, you, you know and we, I've talked about it before on other podcasts, like, you know, just, just forget about this season. Let's just talk about going forward the next couple of years. It's going to be a 11, 12 team race for eight spots. You know, it's, it's, that's how deep the West is right now. And, you know, injuries and things will play a role through these things that some teams will go up and down and whatnot, but it's, it's just tough in that situation. And I think what I like about the Suns most of all is that, you know, Monty Williams has come in, and it's beginning to set the culture, which I always think is the most important thing for first-year coaches. He's beginning to, to lay it down here, and the guys are beginning to respond to it. And I think it's important for this team because you got to think the clock's ticking on uh, Devin Booker's patience. Yeah, and so uh, I think a big a big part of how far Phoenix goes is DeAndre Ayton, who seem, Ayton seems to get lost in the conversation because of Trey Young and Doncic from that draft class. And, of course, you know, it was the wrong pick technically because Phoenix passed on, on, on Luca. <laughs> right. But, like, Aiden's pretty good. And the funny thing is, going back to high school, and Aiden was always, like, the top prospect during in the recruiting rankings, so it's not like he came out of nowhere in Arizona. And he, there's been a ton of film on him dating back to when he was 16 years old. But one of the knocks, honestly, I had him at high school is that he takes too many threes. He tries to tries to show off that he's got a jump shot when it's he's so powerful around the basket he didn't use that enough. And then two years in the NBA, we didn't really see him take any threes. Right. He's, I'm, he's definitely has the range, and he definitely has the confidence to take it. So I don't know if he was just coached to play to his strengths, you know, within 15 feet. But if Aiden does start to develop this tree ball, I mean, how high is his ceiling in this in today's NBA? I mean, it's it's great, you know. I mean, I think he he still has areas he's got to improve defensively, and that's he's a young big, and that takes forever. Yeah. For Wait, most so big let guys. me also cut you off because defense has been. It's, he's kind of been labeled as, okay, he's not a great rim protector, um, and that really devalues him as a guy who's only going to play the five. Is, has he actually like, – what has been in his, his defensive you – know, what has he done defensively from year one to year two? I think part of it is understanding the scheme, right? And I think that's the, the big game there. And I think it's not easy for big guys to fully get that. And – the, the the we see this with a lot of big guys like a guy like Hassan Whiteside who think I'm big I should go block shots right. you know and not understanding that when I go to chase a block I I'm leaving a hole 
you know, and, and I need to make sure my, my teammates are covering for me. And if you're not a good rotating team, it's a problem. And sometimes you're chasing blocks that it's like, you're never going to get that block, man. Like, what are you doing? And, and I think that's something young big guys all have to kind of learn. And also it's a tough adjustment, right? Like in college, you're like, I could get this block in the NBA. It's like, oh no, that's LeBron. I'm, I'm not blocking this shot. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm better off boxing out. Um, and I think that's the thing. And I think he's, he's getting there. He's shown improvement in that area, understanding the rotations and understanding the schemes. And I think that's something that has to continue to happen because it's, it's the defensive IQ that's really going to come down to it is can he pick this stuff up? Can he learn it? And can he understand the, the one he's got to come over and one he, he, he needs to hang back or things like that. It's, it's a small thing, but it's man, big guys take forever to develop in terms of, you know, finding that defensive presence, you know, and understanding it full. Well, I mean, some guys might come in the league and have it, but not a lot do, but if he's able to do that, and then to go back to what we were talking about with his three and add a three point shot, I mean he, that's a hell of a player right there. I mean he he he's gonna have a long value in the league just because he's able to spread the floor and defend. And then he has a post game, which I know we're talking about the post game has gone away. It's still a valuable tool for NBA teams. I mean look what Philly's done with Joel Embiid in the post. Look what the Milwaukee Bucks are able to do when you switch on to Brook Lopez in a pick and roll. He's going right to the paint. He's taking the small in the paint, and he's going, going to take it right up. And I think that's that's a nice added value. Now, is it going to be the focal point of most offenses? Probably not. But it's a good tool to have. And I think that's something that, you know, Aiden already has kind of the post game, but he's got to add the other things to to really kind of become that complete player. Yeah. Now, going back to your point on like the post game is dead or whatever. Like it's only dead if you don't have a really good post player. <laughs> right. <laughs> Playing it. Simple. I mean, we, we we always talk about it that way. I'm like, man, look, LeBron's making a killing this year in the post. Like it's right. not a, uh, um, it's 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 not dead in the sense of, I don't think it ever died. It's just never it, it, its value dropped a bit. Right. Which and is honestly, fine. And one of the arguments I have with NBA scouts today, so I have Onyeka Okongu, USC center, as number three on my board. And a lot of scouts will push back and say, you know, what's his upside in today's NBA as a post player? I'm like, well, what is if he's a really damn good post player? You know, like Embiid is so good in the post. Let him play in the post. So, yeah, that's kind of my point with that. And, and Aiton has that. And if he's able to stretch the floor and then, like you said, improve defensive IQ, which is so much more important than defensive tools, I think. I mean, we always talk about his his wingspan and his strength, but if he doesn't know how to use them, then what's the point? And so it'll be interesting to see how much um, his defensive IQ improves. Uh, an- another big uh, a big storyline I probably should have got to earlier in the podcast is Bo Bo. So yeah. <laughs> Bo Bo, is, you know, he's generating like all the attention um, from these three games. And of course, he slipped to 44 in the draft. I'm telling you, it was weird. I remember t- sending out text messages to scouts during that draft being like, how come no one's taking Bull Bull yet? You know, what's going on with Bull Bull? And nobody answered me till after. And pretty much every answer on why they didn't take Bull Bull, I think every answer was either had to do with, you know, the, the injury risk or, or not strong enough or the fact that he just doesn't have this drive. And I, I don't think he interviewed very well. And if you listen yeah. to him, he's very soft-spoken. He doesn't, like, come off as, like, a killer. You know, he doesn't talk about, like, he lives and breathes basketball. Um, and I think that turns some people off. And honestly, it, it just speaks to more. I think there's so much overthinking sometimes when it comes to the draft. I had him top 10 all year until until questions popped up about his medicals and I moved him down a little bit, but not certainly not to 44. He's so skilled 
do you think he can continue executing these type of skills that we've seen so far in the bubble, despite the fact that he's like 210 pounds? Yeah, I think he can. I, I, first off, you know, MVP, bull, bull. Let's just, <laughs> let's just scrimmage MVP, bull, bull. Everybody was going nuts with those games. You know, I think it's, he's got to find himself. You know, in the in the league, look, he's he's got the skills, man. He's seven two, can shoot it pretty well. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, him dropping. Obviously, the injury risk is always going to be is always going to scare teams. And then you add it with questions of his motor, and 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 that's how you drop to forty four. Like that's just kind of the way it, the way it works, unfortunately, in the league. But you know, it was a steal for the Nuggets. I think he's got enough of a he's got a little bit of everything that makes it worth the, hey, let's spend the time in development. He's still young as hell. You know, he's, he's what, 20 years old? Like, you know, he's he's got time to, to to figure this thing out, I think. And, you know, hopefully he'll be able to put on some weight. Look, with his frame, he's never going to be, like, jacked, you know, or, 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 or swole or anything like that. But I think he has that ability to just add some weight to his frame and, and things like that. He's not going to be, I don't think he's going to be a banger in the post, but again, the game's drifted away a little bit from that, that I think, you know, there's an, there's an area for him. Do I think he's a star? Do I think he's this? I mean, to me, he's probably like your, your, your big man off the bench, but I don't know if he's, um, but I don't think it's, uh, I think it's too soon right now to jump on and saying like, we expect things from him. I think he's a three or four year project. And then, at that point, everybody's going to be going like, why the hell did he drop to 44? Yeah, well, going back to why did he drop, and I kind of say this every year, I think interest and disinterest is contagious. Like when it, when, when teams are hearing that this guy's rising up boards, that, you know, that, that interest is contagious. And the same thing right. goes for disinterest. Like why is nobody taking it? Maybe there's something that I don't know that they know. Um, so I'm going to stay off too. And so I think that that played a role in it also. It was just a weird scenario. He clearly is not like – He's clearly a first-round talent, and it really just comes down to can he stay healthy, I think, and he'll be able to add enough value where he's a rotation player, stretching the floor, a guy who can grab and go, and, and you know, I saw him hit a pull-up and transition from downtown right. the other day. I, mean, I don't know how many times we'll see that, but he's capable of it. And, you know, he moves decently well. He can get pretty high above the rim with that 7-8 wingspan. So in space, he's got the chance to be a nice pick-and-roll finisher. I think he's got enough to his game where he's clearly going to play a role for the Denver Nuggets down the road um who else do we not touch on what other teams the pelicans i mean obviously you know zion hasn't played yet <laughs> and um he's decent but they also have these other young guys who i mean i saw frank jackson come to life the other day jackson hayes i had number five on my board coming out of the draft um so i'm, I'm high on him i think alexander walker played well at least for one of the games you know obviously we know about the big names on new orleans but what have you seen from some of these younger guys who may have not really blown up during the regular season yeah, I mean, I'm with you on Jackson Hayes. Like, I was excited when they drafted him. I thought, like, wow, this is kind of another bouncy guy to to pair with this team. Like, I thought this is going to be a good a good piece for them going forward. And he he's has flashes here and there, you know, with the uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. And and this is just going to be a stupid side note, but these guys with three names now it's beginning to kill me. Okay, <laughs> not helping us in the podcast game, folks. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he's a guy like they have a lot of pieces that they can just develop. Like what I love about the the Pelicans in that sense is they have veterans that can kind of teach these guys the way, 
and 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 show them the way and when these guys are ready you know and this is probably not going to be polite but you know griff can put the veterans out to the pastures like you know it's (laughs) it's it's one of those things you know like these they they have the perfect mix of veteran talent with young kids that they can develop and work on i mean all of these guys have promise in the league like you can see where all these guys would fit on this roster in three or four years right it's like you know the jj reddick might be gone by that point uh drew holiday might be gone at that point cool they have you know frank jackson and 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 lonzo ball you have Nikhil alexander walker rolling in you have josh hart coming in off the bench you have jackson hayes you know replacing favors whenever you know i think favors is a free agent this year so you know he could kind of step into that role and and of course you have zion i think they kind of have set themselves perfectly to be we're going to compete now and we're going to develop our young guys so that we can have a long sustained run. And then they have the 50 million picks that they got from the Lakers. So <laughs> I think they're kind of set in, in, in a pretty good situation. Yeah. I think um, obviously getting Zion in that draft was huge, but Griffin did a great job of, of adding other assets. They also have DD Lozada who's playing in Australia. who will come over as a rookie next year. He was the 35th pick. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super high on this Pelicans team. You know, I don't know what they're going to do right away, in the bubble, but long term, I mean, I, I got a feeling that this is going to be a team that that can kind of contend with with some of the better teams in the West, right, over the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to take a little bit of time, but like, I mean, three or four years from now, Zion's going to be a better player. I think you know, I think Lonzo's kind of hitting his ceiling. Like, this is who he is, and if this is who he is, it's a damn good basketball player, folks. I totally agree. <laughs> you know, and and, and it, you, you know, I think Brandon Ingram's just figuring out. You know, you know, that like, yo, I can be a great one-on-one scorer in this league. And I think, you know, the, the, the stuff that doesn't get shown up that much about him is he's got a little bit of playmaking to him too, which I like. So I think that they just got a lot of promise on this team. And, you know, if things work out right, and I think Zion has areas he's got to improve. We never really talk about the fact that he's not a great defender, um, you know, and, and he's got to improve in that area, you know, in terms of his rotations and, and kind of the way I talked about DeAndre Ayton, like he's got to start figuring out and understanding schemes better. But, you know, as he gets older and as he develops, you know, this team is going to be one of – they're going to be right there in the in the mix for the next eight years, I'd imagine, if everything works right. Who are you taking over the next 10 years, Zion or Luca? Man, <laughs> that's a tough one. But I think I'm just – I'm going to take Luca. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. Yep. Exactly. You know, and, and and it's, you know, as good as Zion is, and Zion can dribble and Zion can create, he's still always going to be dependent on his guards setting him up a little bit. Yep. You know, even if it's just as simple as dribbling it down and throwing a, throwing it into him in the post. Believe me, I've watched a lot of Laker games when LeBron sits on the bench and that they're not able to get the ball into Anthony Davis in the post. Like, it's a lot harder than it looks. So I think for Luka, he just has the ball in his hands. He's going to be be the one bringing the ball up the court. He can orchestrate the, the entire offense. So for me, I am taking Luka, but whoever ends up with Zion, it's not like they've lost anything. Right. Yeah, I do think Zion is a, is a potential MVP candidate, but for the same exact reason I'm taking Luka, fourth quarter, tight game, I'd rather the ball in Lucas' hands because of his ability to create a good shot. Um, let's go to the Celtics, and then we'll, we'll close it out. Celtics, um, of course, they're going to be looking to compete for the title, um, but I'm more focused and, and more interested in some of these younger guys. they got a bunch of them because I mean, they always have, they have three more picks in this upcoming first round. You look at all these prospects, 
Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters. You got a feeling one of these guys is kind of is going to surprise and, and become a, a, a key part of this rotation. Any of these guys jump out to you so far in the bubble? I think Grant Williams' IQ is off the charts. Yep. Right. And and he was. Listen, I get weary of the summer league darling. Right. Like you know, whenever you go to summer league, there's always you know some everybody all the draft nicks no offense uh <laughs> they always start going like man you know they they were all over on grant williams like he's gonna be amazing so everybody loved him and it's like i'm like okay cool let's see how it works in in the in, in the season and sometimes it, it you see it and sometimes it's like yo this guy is not very good um but grant williams is one of those guys where you're like nope he's very good he's got a great <laughs> iq he's solid all around he's he's never gonna just wow you you know what I mean? Like he's just going to kind of do all the small things that helps you win. And I think that's the stuff that matters. And it was his smarts in his game and, 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 and understanding the game at the, the level that he does. Like, I think it's just such a valuable asset for the, the Celtics and with pairing that with Brad Stevens's offense and understanding the cuts and where you need to screen and one to slip and things like that. He's going to be a big player for them. Yeah. I had Grant Williams ranked above Romeo Langford, mostly st- almost exclusively because of basketball IQ and and his defensive anticipation is just like outrageous. I mean, he just knows exactly what his guy is going to do despite the fact, you know, and he's able to act on it despite, you know, his strange frame, you know, that doesn't really jump out with athleticism or quickness. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to turn it around on you here. How, how much are you looking at talent over IQ? Like, where are you on that in terms of basketball IQ? We, smarts on off the court's a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, how, how do you frame it when you're looking at those two things? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not black and white, but mm. sometimes guys are just so smart that I'm willing to bet on them figuring things out. And I kind of just simplify it. Like Tyrese Halliburton is a kid from Ohio State. I mean, uh, from Iowa State who can't beat anybody off the dribble. Um no real explosiveness to his game, but his basketball IQ is so smart. And if he gets put in the system, in the right system, just like Lonzo Ball, um, it, it put the right guys around him, and he's going to be such a valuable player in the NBA. You know, it, it's really tough to say. And then there's, and, and so this is a good segue to like Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is, I think, the most talented kid in this draft in terms of physical talent, 6'5, 225, explosive athlete, highly skilled. I mean, an advanced shot creator deep NBA range, but he's number four on my board because I don't think that he can apply all that talent to winning basketball. I just don't think he gets it. And so, you know, I'll, 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 I'll rank him in terms of talent, but then low basketball IQ will bring him down a little bit. You know, it's same thing with like Wiggins, right? Like Wiggins has right. all that number one overall talent. Nobody ever questioned that, but can he apply it? And can he, can he convert it into winning plays consistently? I don't, I don't think he could. And, and that's kind of why his value is not right now. Number one overall value. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the way I look at it. You know, there's, there are times where it's like, Nope, I need to just grab the talented guy and hopefully we can figure it out. And there are other times where it's, we just, we need guys that are just smart basketball IQ guys. Like if you're Phoenix, you need a smart basketball IQ guy right now. Cause you have a lot of talent. Yep. You need to get, you need competent players, other teams. It's, 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 are you talent deficient or, or IQ deficient? And they have to figure it out from there. Yep, it's a, a big equation, and and um, you know sometimes I think guys put too much stock into it, and like these these interviews, and you know some of these scouts are like, "What have you guys been doing lately?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm calling 
his this player's uncle, his best friend, his <laughs> former ball boy, uh, the guy who serves him sandwiches at the deli, and you know they're like taking all this. Sometimes it's not you know, that complicated, um, and sometimes they overthink it, like with Bo Bo. But but yeah, I, I do think basketball IQ does play a, a big role um, in terms of how they can apply the talent that they actually have. I think um, we're gonna I think we're gonna see a lot of. Uh overthinking this draft just because the guys have had so much extra time to prepare. I think we're going to see a lot of guys they were excited about in June talk themselves out of it come October. Well, so that's true. But then on the flip side, they're not going to have workouts. And sometimes guys get too excited about They'll be like, oh, this kid had 17 threes in a row. You know, I guess he's a better shooter than what we showed. Meanwhile, every backup center in the league can make open threes in an empty gym. And, uh, and so it's interesting. I see both sides to it, whether or not they're going to draft better this year um, with, with more time or they're going to draft worse with more time. Um, anything else in the bubble that, that struck you that you want to bring up? Um, I just think overall the gameplay has been better than I thought it would be. You know, I thought, man, they haven't played in four months. It's going to be kind of brutal. It's, it's trying to fill it out. Altogether, all it's been pretty solid across the board. I felt like... You know, the, the shooting was pretty good. I don't know the numbers. Off, you know, I, it's been hard to try to find the stats all that well, and I've also been just relatively lazy about it, if I'm being honest <laughs> with you. Um, but it just feels like the shooting has been, you know, is, is better than I thought it would be. And I think, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. I think a lot of the guys look in great shape, excellent conditioning-wise, um, which makes me wonder how much they were actually quarantining when they should be, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think, you know, we're, I'm excited. I think, you know, at times early on, I was like, man, these first few games are going to be really rough. And now I'm at the point, like there might be some timing issues and things like that, but conditioning wise and just the pure basketball stuff, um, I think we're in pretty good shape there. And I think the NBA is doing a pretty good job. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, kicks off Thursday night, NBA. We got the lottery, I don't know, this 20th, and then like two months after is the draft. So that's what we got to look forward to. Mo DeKeel, thanks for uh, for hopping in and dropping some knowledge, buddy. I really appreciate it. 